Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a great way for us to begin a new year. Father, truly the best way as we meet with our family, our church family, as we gather with those who also hope in Christ, as we worship together, as we look to your word, as we come hungry, ready to be fed, Father, as we set our attention upon you, as we ask you to set our heart's focus upon you, Father, we are glad to be here today. Father, we are extremely humbled that we are alive in 2019. You have brought us a long way. Father, this morning we are here to worship you. I confess for all of us, God, that we want to be focused upon you. We want our lives to count. And so we ask your blessing on us. Father, we pray that your power would be working in us. Father, we pray your blessing on us in this service today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 1016, 1016 in the Black Pew Bible there. Uh, today is a, is a special day, and it's a little bit of a twofold. Yes, this is an ordination service. We are ordaining Marcus Lehman into the gospel ministry. Uh, and that's very fitting with how our church over the last several months has been talking about elders and what it means to be a leader and pastor in a church, uh, called by God, affirmed by the church. Uh, and so that's kind of what's happening today. We are ordaining Marcus into the gospel ministry, recognizing him as an elder, as a pastor, uh, recognizing him as one that God has set apart. But at the same time, so while that's going on, at the same time what is happening is that today is the final day that Marcus and his wife Rachel and their children are going to be with us as they are now being sent out as missionaries. They're moving to Texas. They'll be there for uh, several months finishing up some preparations. And then, Lord willing, by his grace, sometime later this year, they will be sent overseas to start serving uh, as Bible translators. They're going to be doing Bible translation. All right? So we are ordaining Marcus today to the ministry, and at the same time, we are sending off his family. All right? Both of those are happening uh, today. We're glad that they're here. Uh, they've been traveling through the holidays. They're back with us. We're so happy to have Rachel's parents here with us today, too. Thank you for being here. And so since we're doing that, I right now am about to preach a uh, mini sermon directed at all of us, but most specifically at Marcus. A charge to the candidate, if you will. Then we will have a break. We'll sing one congregational song, and then Josh Womble's going to come up and preach another mini sermon. So I hope y'all are here till uh, mid-afternoon. Hope you're okay with that. Totally kidding. But we, uh, then Josh Wom will come back up and we'll preach uh, a, a charge to Marcus, but more specifically, a charge to all of us, a charge to the whole church on, on what this means and what, what's happening here and why we're doing it this way, okay? Uh, certainly all of it is from the Word of God and for all of us, and I think you will benefit from that. Once Josh is done, I'll come back up, we'll ask Marcus to come forward, and I'll invite all the ordained men in the church, both pastors or deacons, to come forward. We will lay our hands on Marcus uh, and pray for him. 
All right? Then after that, we'll take the Lord's Supper and have our, our closing song. So that's the way it's going to go today, a little bit different. Awesome way to begin 2019. Marcus, as you know, has been a part of our church for five years now. He's loved us well, served us well. We've seen the Lord's work in him. The church is in agreement that we recognize him as one called out by God. And, and, and the Lord's grace is at work in his life. We see him fit to be a pastor, elder, missionary for what God has called him to do. A few weeks ago, we went through an ordination council examination. We set him down in a room, and we interrogated him and asked him all sorts of good questions. It got him to tell us his story, and he, uh, by all means, passed that. Uh, and we are encouraged and blessed here today to recognize Marcus as one that God's blessing and spirit's power and gifting is upon. And we worship God for that. And so today, we want to set Marcus apart for this work. And that's what we're doing. Read with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch. Does everybody see that? It's still a church thing. Sometimes y'all can get, uh, people can get way out of line with what's happening here. This is totally a church thing. It says it right there. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In so many ways, this that we read in Luke in Acts 13, 1 through 3 is what's happening here this morning at First Baptist Church Fairdale just some 2,000 years later. I want to point out to you that this is clearly a God thing. You see it here. I mean, this is a very God-centered passage. It says, the Holy Spirit said it. It doesn't say that somebody in the church stood up and said, hey, well, how about Marcus? He seems to be a good guy for it. No, it says here that the Holy Spirit says that. Then the Holy Spirit says this, set apart for me these two guys here today, Marcus, for the work to which I have called them. So God has work. And God calls people to work. I want to bring four ideas to your mind. God's word, so it's God talking here. God's church, that's the setting here. God's calling, that's what he's doing here. And God's work is what he's sending them to do. All of those are at play, I think, pretty simply, right? God's word, God's church, God's calling, God's work. I think we all would agree that if somebody says, hey, I think I want to move to another continent, and translate a language that does not have the Bible into the Bible, or translate the Bible into that language, I think you would all agree and identify that as the Lord's work. Part of the Lord's work. In hopes, not that they would just carry Bibles, 
but that they would know what the Bible says, that God loves them, and God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for them. And that if anybody there, just like anybody here, would believe in the message of that Bible, that Jesus died and rose again for their sins, they would be forgiven of their sins. They would have eternal life. God would receive them. God would welcome them into his family, his kingdom forever. That is the Lord's work. So here in our passage, we have God's word, God's church, God's calling, and and God's work. And yet, the passage is clearly about Saul and Barnabas too, because God has said, set them apart. And so here today, I want to put in your minds that in the midst of all of this God-centeredness, there is still people that God uses. In fact, that is the whole way that God has designed for it to work. While it is a God thing and we have a big view of God and we're God-centered, trusting in the sovereignty of God, God does all that God does through people. He doesn't need us, but he does use us. Each year at our church's annual homecoming service, which we celebrate in the fall, I remind our church of that group of people in 1916, 102 years ago now, 103 years ago, who brought the gospel to Fairdale and began this church. We are called the First Baptist Church because there were no Baptist churches here. As a matter of fact, there was only one church in this area, and that was Mount Holly Methodist. And we thank God that those few people, those handful of people came in 1916. Their lives made such a difference. And in a very real way, we should say that we would not be here today were it not for them and their faithfulness to God. If you've come to faith through the work of this church, if you've been saved or baptized through the work of this church, then it makes sense to say, were it not for those people beginning it 102 years ago, we would not be in this place. Certainly it's the work of God. Certainly it's the providence of God and the plan of God. But some people tangibly walked here to this place 102 years ago and decided right here in this little area to begin a church. And so we are thankful for those people. We start thinking that way. We have to think that people's lives make a difference. God uses people. And I think about that now as I see more and more lives changed by Jesus in recent years through our church and through our church people. I love to think about the ripple effect of one life changed. I love to think about the multiplication that happens when somebody comes to faith in Christ. I love to see you sitting with people that used to not know the Lord, but now they're coming to know the Lord through what's happening in your life. What a special thing that is, and that's how God does it. People's lives make a difference. So although we see here God's word, God's church, God's calling, God's work, he's using people. Think about it like this. Here, we have the church We have the Jerusalem church, we have the church at Antioch, we have them worshiping, but God says, the Holy Spirit says, set apart these two to go and do some work, some other work that God is doing. He's certainly working there, but now he's going to do some other work. And as you know, 
The two here are Saul and Barnabas. God soon changes Saul's name to Paul. We don't know a ton more about Barnabas. He's not the main character throughout the rest of the New Testament. But this guy, Saul, right here, being set apart right now to start doing the work, because before he wasn't even in the work, becomes the main character other than our Lord Jesus Christ throughout the rest of the New Testament. So we see God here saying, hey, start using Saul, or I'm going to start using Saul, change his name to Paul. And then there's, we know that there is so much that God did through him. You need to be able to think about this. You may be considering, if you want to commit yourself, you want to be more involved with church, you need to grow in your faith. I would ask in 2019 that you would make a new goal, that you would go deeper with the Lord, that you would think about a way that you could be more involved. You need to be in Bible study more. You need to find a small group or a Sunday school class. You need to be discipled. You need to ask somebody to help you read the Bible or grow in that. But I want you to think about what that would mean, not only for you, but I want you to receive the burden of what that would mean for other people. Many of people have only thought about what this would mean for Marcus and Rachel. But I want us to think today that if by God's grace they make it there, what it might mean for them there. Who are the people, wherever they end up, that will come to know the Lord? Who are the people 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now who will be pastors in that church that Marcus gets to ordain? This is the way the Bible wants us to think. We are so self-centered here that you decide on going to church on what it will do for you and we never get to thinking what is the ripple effect of what it's going to do for everybody else around me. You decide your obedience or disobedience to God based off whether it hurts you and you hardly ever consider what it's saying to all of those around you. And the Bible wants us to think people's lives make a difference. Consider Paul. Here, set apart and called in Acts 13 to go and do the work of God. But think about it. It would be the same Paul who later leads Timothy to faith. And then Timothy becomes a pastor in the church of Ephesus. And you and I love the book of Ephesians of six chapters that we've read and studied, of which Paul had led Timothy to be a pastor there. Think about that. It would be the same Paul who would lead Titus to faith and then leaves Titus to become a pastor in Crete. And we love the book of Titus. Here in Acts 13, Saul isn't even in the work of God. The church sets him apart. You and I love Timothy. We love Titus. And yet we know of people that Timothy and Titus were discipling. The book of Titus tells us that Titus's first move is to go and identify those people that should be elders. So there's a whole group of elders in the Cretan church that Paul led Titus to find. God uses people's lives. Paul would later write to them, 2 Timothy 3, 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing, listen, from whom you have learned it. There's a real aspect in your commitment to Christ that you are always looking to those who taught you. I hope that it is your mom and dad. If it's not your mom and dad, then I, I hope it's somebody else in the church, a mentor, a pastor, a friend, who has taught you everything that you know about the Lord Jesus. And part of your clinging to Jesus as Lord and Savior is built upon because you saw them clinging to it. This is the way God has designed it. 
We grow as disciples from hearing the word and also as we look at other disciples' lives. People's lives make a difference. So Marcus, I want you to know that God's word and God's church and God's calling and God's work are the main issues here today that we are recognizing that God has called you to. At the same time, I also want you to know the seriousness of your faithfulness in this life and work. It is true, by God's grace, that what Marcus is like where he is will make a difference on the way it's received. Have you ever been out to a fast food restaurant and the service was terrible? People were rude. Food wasn't right. They didn't care. Just left a total bad taste in your mouth. You got in the car and you didn't say, oh, Johnny's a bum. I can't believe they hired him. That's a good place, but he's not a good worker. You never say that. You know who gets the bad reputation? The restaurant does. When we're not faithful to God, when we're in God's work, guess who gets the bad reputation? God. When you're not faithful in your personal lives and people know that you claim to follow Christ or people know that you attend church here, Guess who gets the bad reputation? Sometimes me. Sometimes us. All the time, God. I want us to see here that faithfulness matters. This is why Paul would write later to Timothy in the description and qualifications of an elder. He must be well thought of by outsiders. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Or he would write to Titus, show yourself, Marcus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Your life will make a difference. The truth is, it could make a bad difference. I hope you're all aware. I know we think about, hey, them going there, and they're going to help that place, right, and help those people. But there's a real sense that they could go there and make it worse. This is what I want to bring to our attention today. Just like you and I could go around Fairdale and Louisville and make it worse. You may be making the cause of Christ worse at your place that you work or where you live. And so our faithfulness matters. People's lives make a difference. I think about the influence that we see in our church from one person to another. I can think of people in our church that I, that I met 10, 15 years ago, and I've been a pastor to them for quite some time, and now they've got families coming with them. Now they've got husbands or wives coming with them that I didn't know before. I think about people in our church that started coming a few years ago and now they've got somebody attending with them. I think about the ripple effect here knowing that our lives can make such a difference. I think of my own children. I think of how were it not for the people who came and told me about Jesus, people that I've been able to look up to and follow, my kids would not be in the home that they are now, being raised the way that they are now. Were it not for those that have impacted my life 
I think of many, many people whose lives have made a difference. And then I think of you, Marcus, and where you're going. And I think of years from now. I think of God's word being all-sufficient and unstoppable. I think of God's church. I think of God's calling on your life. And I think of God's work. We don't know the plan and the future of what God is doing there. But we do know that God uses people. We have the examples for us in Acts chapter 13 of people set apart, called out, and going into God's work. And we see all that God did through their lives. And we are hopeful and expectant and prayerful that he will do that through you. But I want you to see from the scriptures today that it matters how you conduct yourself. It matters the way you walk. There will be many who come to know Jesus, we pray. There will be many who desire to be church leaders, we pray. There will be marriages, there will be discipleship, there will be children, there will be uh, older people, there will be all of that. And they undoubtedly will look to you as a way to understand what is happening. So there's a seriousness here, is there not? I know none of you all want me to put so much of the responsibility on us that seems too weighty but it's real. Not more real than the sovereignty of God, but along with it, absolutely. Marcus and Rachel, I want to end with this story. It comes from just about six weeks ago, November of 2018. The word of God comes riding in on a camel. It's a kind of modern-day Palm Sunday in northern Kenya. The nomadic Rendil people waving their worn sticks instead of palm branches. The word of God itself stacked in bound cardboard boxes lashed to the hump of a swaying camel. Listen to this. More than a thousand Rendil people. More than a thousand Rendil people and dozens of distant neighboring tribes people have come to receive their New Testament in their own mother language. They have been parched for living water under the desert sun for decades, even centuries. And this day is nothing short of a resurrection coming. Dancing women stir the dust with their feet. Thousands of beaded necklaces rattling like rising bones. And they point out how even the camel seems to be grinning himself. The Rendil translation is one of more than 120 nearing completion in Africa alone in 2018. Over three decades ago, 30 years, listen, two faithful missionaries and two deeply committed Rendell tribesmen began laying the foundation for this day when they set out to translate parts of both testaments into the Rendell language. Their painstaking work finally came to fruition in the last three years thanks to technology and consulting methods beyond those early missionaries' wildest imaginings and to partnerships between groups including Wycliffe, Seed Company, BTL Kenya, and Africa Inland Mission. Which is what makes today, the day the good book comes, seem like a divine visitation.
Y'all, thousands of northern Kenyan Rendil people and even other tribes stand there waiting, celebrating, dancing because the New Testament is arriving to them. The story goes, there's even pictures with it of them holding their very own copy like this of the word of God that they are believing. But do you know how it got there? Over 30 years ago, two missionaries showed up. The pastor of the Rendell Church, the pastor of the Rendell Church, it says right here, opposed them. It says when he was six years old, he remembers watching his mother throw stones at the Bible translators to drive them away. They were not wanted, they were not accepted. But as the Christians came in, everything in their town started to improve. The care for people, the care for the sick, the care for the children, the education, everything started to improve. And they finally started to see these people are here to help us. The testimony of the Rendell people is that they believe the word of God because of what they heard and because of what they saw in those that brought it to them. The Bible says that the word of God and the gospel is power. But you and I know that part of the way we receive it is built on those and what they're like who bring it to us. Marcus, this is not some new cool job for you to enter into. This is not at all something that is going to make you more admired by us because you're so heroic. While well, that is part of what happens. This is God's word, God's church, God's calling, and this is God's work. And we look down the road to what may be by his grace if it is our desire to represent him well. And by his grace, he allows us to. One verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Listen to what Paul says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, though, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We are able to say God's work, and I want to bear the responsibility of it. May God's faithfulness to you, looking toward those in the future, create a Holy Spirit's faithfulness in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may by your grace you give Marcus Lehman a spiritual power and commitment to carry out faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.